What a positive series of lessons comes from the book of Philippians. I am impressed how Paul could be able to look at each of these things that are a part in the church at Philippi and then to draw out some great lessons to learn from that. Tonight we're going to talk about you are what you think. I know some of you have heard you are what you eat, but you are what you think. And so it's obvious that I'm going to begin with a question is what's on your mind? Now, I can't read your minds, nor can you read mine, but I would dare say that tonight, if you wanted to categorize what people are thinking about, they would fall into things that are secular thoughts, for instance, things about maybe what you're going to eat tonight, maybe what you're going to eat over the holidays. Maybe you're thinking about something you need to do at work, perhaps because it's the period of time in which a lot of sports takes place, those things are on your mind it, that you, it's sort of like, well, maybe tomorrow I need to do this or I need to do that. Or it's possible that you have some sinful thoughts on your mind. Maybe you're angry with someone in your family or maybe you're angry with someone at work. And you feel as if I need to get back at them and I need to straighten them out on this. And because of that, there's some malice and there's some anger in your heart, maybe even a little bit of hatred. Or perhaps you've allowed yourself to be tempted and allured and there's lust in your heart and you're thinking about things like that. Or it's also possible that you have some spiritual thoughts. Maybe as you listen to the songs that we just sang, there's much to do, there's work on every hand. What a wonderful thought that's in that song. Or maybe the songs about the Christian's welcome home or no tears in heaven. You see... Thoughts about where we shall spend eternity. Maybe the thoughts of love, of joy, of peace and kindness and goodness is in your heart. Hopefully so. But you see, what you choose to dwell on in your mind will surface in your life. Because I will tell you right now that over these holiday seasons, as you and your families get together, if there is love and joy and peace in your hearts, you're going to smile and you're going to be nice. I can tell you if there is anger and there's hatred in your hearts, get ready for a conflict. It's coming. The Bible teaches in Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The man who thinks that this is what the way life should be, that's the way he's going to live. Jesus, when talking about the things that people eat, and he says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out. And then he goes to explain, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies, and so forth. You see, what's in a person, what he thinks upon, what he dwells upon, is what he becomes. Well, what that means is Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, becomes all the more important because not only does it tell us about the things upon which we should think, but how we should emulate them as well. And so for tonight's lesson, we're going to have two points. Verse 8, verse 9, we're going to talk about the principles in verse 8 and the practice in verse 9. 
Let's go back to verse 8 again and let's focus on it for just a moment. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything if there's any virtue, if there's anything that is praiseworthy, meditate, or if you're reading the American Standard King, think on these things. Let your mind dwell upon them. And if you hear the direction of life, sometimes we speak in broad categories, sometimes we draw down to specifics. And here he says, whatever things. And so he talks about the six principles of truth, nobility, justice, purity, loveliness, and finally things of good report. For just a few minutes, let's just very briefly touch on these six things. Truth. When I think about truth, I think about truth in general. Am I telling the truth? Are you telling the truth? Do we seek the truth, the truth that is revealed in God's will? You see, veracity, that is telling the truth and not lying, or contemplating on that will cause a person to decide how they're going to express the truth or how they're going to express deception. And one of the best illustrations I can give to you in the Bible is that of Abraham and Abraham found himself where he did not want to tell the truth. He didn't want to say that Sarah was his wife. And so what he does, he says, Sarah's my sister. Go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of a beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Abraham's thinking this mind. Now, they might kill me with this, so I'm going to deceive them. Now, someone said, well, he really told the truth. Oh, yes, he did, but he was deceptive with it because he wanted them to believe that she was not his wife. Sometimes people sit around and think, you know, I really don't want to tell the truth. I really don't want to be honest. Well, what Paul is saying, whatever things are true, meditate on those things of how to tell the truth. Ephesians 4 verse 25, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor's for we are members of one another. We learn from John in Revelation 21 and verse 8 that the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murders, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But I like the way Jesus puts it in John 17, verse 17. He simply says... Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 
If I'm going to meditate on true things, I'm going to meditate on what God has said. And the best that I can do is to express it the way God has expressed it. Second, whatever things are noble. Now this is an adjective and it describes something that is reverent, it's grave, it's respectable. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and he's giving the qualifications for deacons and then for deacons' wives in verse 11 and as he speaks about them in chapter 2 and verse 2, likewise deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to wine, much wine, not greedy for money. In Titus 2, he says that the older men be sober, be reverent. What do you mean by being reverent? That's being respectable. That's being noble, as he would use. The Bauer, Dankin, Ark, and Gingrich lexicon defines this as human beings worthy of respect and honor, noble, dignified, and serious. You live a life so that people can look at you and respect you. To do that, you've got to think on respectable things, honorable things, serious things. Liddell and Scott's lesson says of human beings, reverend, august, solemn, solemn, stately, and majestic. That's the kind of things you think upon. And when you think about things that are serious, you think about things that are honorable, you think about the way you interact with other people. When Paul was writing 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 21, they were raising money to take to the needy saints in Jerusalem. He wanted everybody to respect the way he was handling this. And so he says, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We try to do things so that everybody knows that we're worthy of their respect and of their honor. Whatever things are just. This is a real common word in the New Testament. And it means being in accordance with high standards of rectitude, uprightness, just, fair. That means you treat somebody like you yourself would want to be treated. In the sense that you want them to be fair with you, be just with you. And you think about this conduct, again, about your dealings. And when Paul was writing the Colossians, he used this word to talk to masters and say to them, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. There's a time in which a person needs to look at someone else and say, how am I treating them? Am I being fair with them? In Acts 10 and verse 22, Cornelius was said to be a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. You see, here's a man who always treated people fair. He was always honest quite frequently. And when I go and preach funerals, I try to speak with the family to try to find out a little bit about them. And it just seems like every time there's someone will come up and say, Preacher, if you really want to represent this man or this woman, you will say how honest they were, how they treated everybody fairly didn't matter from where they came. But on the other hand, you can think about people who think about not being fair and not being just. They want everything is to their benefit. And 
A good illustration of that is in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 37. You remember when Jacob left home, leaving because of the fear of Esau, he went to his mother's people and he went and lived with Laban, ended up marrying Leah and Rachel. But while he was there, he was ready to leave and come back home. And Laban had said, okay, here's the way we're going to give you things. And he tried to constantly cheat Jacob. Genesis 31, verse 7, Your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. You see, Laban thought about, how can I cheat him? How can I get something out of him? And there's some people who think on those kinds of things. Whatsoever things are pure, unmixed with the elements of the world. The word's also translated chaste in some places, like 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Pure virgin. Or as you read Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that they may admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, Yes, women, just like men, you're to be pure, honor your wedding vows, and be honorable toward them. But you realize that in contrast to this, there's some people whose minds begin to wander, and they begin to think impure thoughts about other people to whom they have no rights. And they begin to let their minds wander to the point where Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 28, I say to you that whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yes, some people don't think the pure thoughts. Christians must pursue purity. 1 John 3, verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, that is Christ, is pure. Whatsoever things are lovely... Interesting word, only occurs once in the Bible. It's a compound word, which means I'm friendly toward someone. Hmm. How interesting that is. The lexicon defines it as causing pleasure or delight, pleasing, agreeable, lovely, amiable. The kind of things that brings delight. And so I want to think about how a person's life would make someone else think they're lovely. You know, I've often commented that certain people are lovely. Their outward beauty may or may not be great, but their inward beauty is certainly uh, admirable. One should think about how he should be pleasing both to God and man. You know, we learn about Jesus that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man from Luke chapter 2. Colossians 1 and verse 10 says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How do I make myself lovely to God? I try to do what God wants me to do. Proverbs 16 verse 7, When a man's ways please the Lord... 
He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You seek to do what is lovely with God and then it will bring about loveliness among mankind as well. Number six, good report. This is found only in one other place in the Bible. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 8. And Paul's going to use a series of contrasts there about the way the apostles are viewed. And he says, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. Paul said what we do is we have people who report on us as if we're evil. And we have people who give a good report about us. The idea is that one should consider the things which cause others to give a good report about him. In other words, when people speak about you to someone else, about your reputation, what do they say? Do they say that person is good, they're honorable, they're dedicated, they're loyal, or what else do they say? Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 about elders. A bishop must then be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. When you say they're blameless and they must have a good report, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, talking about those widows, he says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. When I think about a woman like that, I think about Dorcas. And I think about the life that she had lived and the report given. You know, Here's a woman who was full of good deeds, which she did. Or I think about the woman, for instance, of Proverbs 31, who was noted for her uh, reaching out her hand to the poor and helping other people. In Acts 22, verse 12, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. So as you think about those six things about which Paul says you think, if that's what my mind is dwelling upon, then certainly I will find myself seeking to be what he would have me to be. But now you get to verse 9. And Paul now focuses from these general principles into a pattern, if you will. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You see, the virtue really describes an excellent quality in doing something. This word's found in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 where he gives the eight Christian graces there, if you will. It's talking about the kind of devotion that a person gives to something. One of the best ways I can illustrate it is something that was a part of a commercial a few years ago. After being beaten in the market by, for so many years, 
many of the American car companies realized their quality wasn't very good. And so special attention was being given to make sure that the the cars are well built, that they're going to last. And so the Ford Motor Company came out with this slogan, quality is job one. The word quality is the idea of virtue here. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Quality, excellence, if you will, and to virtue knowledge. Praiseworthy is an action for which men would praise you and express appreciation for you. If there's anything that will bring you recognition for this, remember Romans 13.3? He tells us that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise. Believe me, the police, the, the law officers, they like the good people who do the right things. 2 Corinthians 8, 18, And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Oh, yes. Even within the church, there are people whose life deserves praise because they've been virtuous in them. Meditating upon these things will result in our being praised for acting upon them. 1 Peter 2.12 talks about living that life. He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. They look at you and say, you know what? That guy was a good man in his life. But then you take the last part of verse 9. The things that you have learned, the things you've received, the things you've heard, the things you have saw in me, these do. Paul had presented these virtues in both precept and practice. Now, I, I want to just for a moment Think about that. It's not say, do as I say, and not do as I do. This morning I read that poem from Edgar Guest. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. We need to be the kind of people that represent, like Paul did, the pattern to follow. Philippians 3.17, Brethren, Join in following my example. Wow, if you can say, live like I live, that says a lot. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 and going through verse 12. But as you've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. And then he talks about what happened to him at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He said, Timothy, you followed me all the way through. You know how I've responded to difficult situations. You want me to tell you something, folks, as far as practicality is concerned? You want this week to be joyful and happy? Do what Paul said to do. 
Even when people persecute you, you hold your head high, you do the right thing, you think the right thoughts, and I guarantee you it will show. John 13, verse 17, Jesus said, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not just thinking on them, but you've got to practice them as well. And then he says, The God of peace will be with you. You do what God wants you to do. You live like God wants you to live. And you think like God wants you to think. And God will be with you. And he will bless you. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. To do better, you have to think better. The truth is is that many of us need a renewal of our minds. The way we think. My daddy used to say, boy, you need an attitude adjustment. That's really it. Listen to Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But you have not so learned Christ if you have indeed heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness and holiness. Yes, you, you put on that new man. You have the renewal of your mind. But you have to act on what you know is to be true. You see, we come to a lesson, we study two verses, and you realize how you're supposed to live, what you're supposed to think, and how are you going to respond. If you respond by saying, I know now I need to think better and I need to do better, that's a wonderful response to it. If you look at your life and you say, I don't know, I'm, I'm lost here. You need to come and be baptized for the remission of your sins. You need to follow through with what the Lord told you to do. And that takes you from being an old man to being a new man. If you're a Christian and you've lived a life of sin and you need to make a change you need to come back to the Lord. We'll pray with you tonight. We're going to sing the song, Who at the Door is Standing. And if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing?